1: And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider, episode 22, with Sam Webb, your host, and my guy, Tim McCormick. And we're coming to you in a time where a convergence of really serious world events are impacting our country and our lives so significantly. sort of renders the sports discussion irrelevant. Mood not as important, uh, but as we've often seen in life, sports can be—it uh, can be a conduit for the athletes that are so celebrated to pass along the message. Like in this case, of the death of George Floyd, be a conduit for the the pain and uh, le- legitimate protest that comes from an entire community. It can be a bridge to voice those concerns but this has gone beyond athletes representing the the complaints the suffering the mistreatment representing all of that from a community community itself is out in mass but not just the black community the the entire nation uh, has been gripped by the death of george floyd to the point where you see mass protests across this country with people participating in those protests from different racial backgrounds, different age groups, different religions, all out there protesting what is uh, a cause that has been plaguing this country for generations. And so it is in that vein that I welcome my good friend Tim McCormick on, who you know, Tim, I, I got to tell you that I value uh, your your friendship. I appreciate your willingness to to speak on this topic to divert some of the attention from what I said is kind of trivial by comparison. But you know, I, I think the ability for uh, for for sports to to be a bridge to help facilitate conversation uh, needs to be taken advantage of, and that's one of the the great things about this. Uh, about you and I, about, you know, people in sports and about this podcast is we can bring that into this discussion too. So I appreciate your, your willingness to to do that on this podcast.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Um, I, it, it, first of all, it's wonderful to speak with you. Um, and, and it seems a bit uncomfortable to talk Michigan hoops, um, during these divisive times for our nation. Uh you know, I feel that the leadership has been embarrassing and so inadequate um, in our country. I'm deeply troubled and saddened by the death of George Floyd, and I, I have to to tell you, you know, I, I go back to to 1992. I was just starting to become more aware of race relations and tension, and I remember the the pain and the sadness our country felt when when Rodney King was pulled out of his car and beaten by the L.A. police. And I can remember thinking at that time, this is horrific. But you know, I'm I'm pretty confident it's going to serve as a catalyst that's going to lead to change. And then it just keeps happening over and over again. And and it it's disgusting and it it makes me sad. And I'm I'm embarrassed that our country is going through this. Um, but I I do pray for peace and justice. And I I hope that the the looters and the rioters and the criminals will stop using. George Floyd's death as a reason to destroy our cities. Um, so you know, I just—it's it, unfair. It's a, it's very very disappointing that after what everybody's gone through with the the coronavirus, that that this is such a, a major part of, of of our lives now.
1: You know, Tim, one of the interesting things that that i find you know i talked about sports being a, a, a conduit you know one of the interesting things about sports the locker room is the illustration of what people are, or what society aspires to be or at least should aspire to be you go into a locker room a football locker room a basketball locker room you have guys of different racial different religious different socioeconomic backgrounds now you know you get into a uh you know one of those locker rooms and a level of affluence uh, has been achieved by all but the the backgrounds from which they came are all different and yet here they are together the the camaraderie uh is on a different level uh than you find typically in in society so i i you know i'm not surprised that in a locker room setting in some ways might make you oblivious to the going on, some of the strife when it came to race relations that were going on outside the locker room. But it it gets back to one of my original points is I wonder if you feel like athletes can be uh, one of the real beacons uh, of change here as well, using their platforms to help forward this cause, to help amplify this cause. Because I mentioned, you know, the community, the nation is out there in mass, And so giving voice, lending voice to the issues themselves, but celebrity can be powerful. And so amplifying claims, buttressing the claims that are being made with their platforms to keep the, the issues in the forefront. I'm curious if you think we will see athletes take that stance uh, in this way beyond even the protests of today and tomorrow. Do you think they'll use their platforms for this moving forward?
2: I, I certainly hope so. And and over the the last week, I've I've had literally dozens of conversations with NBA players and with high school athletes about this topic and. You know the the, um, the locker room is, is really a wonderful place during formative years to get to know people of other races and cultures, and and you know I, I I I I like to think that because of the fact that 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 growing up around basketball that so many of my best friends are African American and from different different nationalities that you you have the ability to to learn different perspectives and become you know much more colorblind um i i also know that it's it's almost a bit uncomfortable because being a white person i've never been pulled over because of the color of my skin by a mm-hmm. police officer and mm-hmm. and you know there's a lot of things that the history of my family that I, I don't really feel qualified to, to talk about but you know right is right and wrong is wrong and and I, um, I do, I do take great pride in watching so many of of my 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 basketball brothers stand up and make a statement and 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 serve as that catalyst for change.
1: What do you what do you say to people, uh, Tim? Who and I'm sure you've heard this before, as many athletes here. What do you what do you say to people who say stick to sports? I only want to I only want to see you running up and down the basketball floor. I only want to see you, uh, you know, talking about the basketball games. What do you say to people who feel that way?
2: Yeah, it, it's a ludicrous statement. Um, you know, we're all qualified to have an opinion. And and your lens is based on your life experiences. And you know the, the truth is if you look at Twitter and Instagram, the, the the athletes of today have an amazing opportunity to 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 share strong opinions because People follow athletes. Athletes are role models and heroes. And 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 I do think that by by muting your voice, you, you are you are ruining a tremendous opportunity to to reach people that are trying to figure out what their opinions are. They're trying to to look through all of the details and figure out exactly um, what normal what normalcy should look like. Um, you know, we we want our athletes to be people of integrity and, and the athletes are held to very high standards. And, and so I, I applaud any athlete that, that is willing to stand up and say, here's what I believe and here's why I believe it.
1: Yeah. Strong, Tim, uh, is one of the reasons why, you know, I appreciate doing this with you and certainly uh, appreciate our friendship because you can take, uh, you know, obviously you can, you, you can certainly have a conversation, uh, be just between you and I, and, and bring our life's perspectives, but you can take us into a locker room. You can take us into the league, and uh, and take us into the uh, into the minds. What's on the minds of the players uh, in the game right now, and the, the players that that you play with uh, in, in your day. One of those players that you played with in your day uh, was was Terry Mills. You know, as you were going out, he's coming in to the University of Michigan. Uh, I believe Terry was the number one certainly number one player in the state, maybe the number one big man in the country coming out of Romulus. I'm curious what you remember, what you recall about Terry Mills around that time as he was coming into Michigan and what you remember about him as a pro.
2: Well, I, I, I knew he was a uh, first team all American in high school um, and, and the best player by far. And when I met him, I knew he was a Michigan man and, and he just, he just maximized his abilities. He he worked so hard. Um, I, I was immediately impressed the first time I played against him that he could shoot the ball like nobody's business. And, and I fancied myself as being a really good shooter that never had a chance to shoot from the perimeter because big guys go inside. And, and as I watched and enjoyed his career, um, he became one of the first, true big men that that could be equally effective in the low post, but to be able to step out and knock down threes. And and really, if you look at the, the way the NBA is played today, big men at the stretch four position um, are a great asset. T- Terry was ahead of his time. He was really one of the first big men that, that was put into that stretch four role.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He came to be known uh, coined by George Blaha as three mills, and I I still call Terry three mills uh, to this day, uh, because Terry could really shoot it. And you you seized upon a, a, a noteworthy point. He said, you know, they wouldn't let him shoot uh, those shots. They maybe his most memorable perimeter shot at Michigan was the one he missed that was put back by you know by Sean Higgins in the uh, mm-hmm. in, in the Final Four against Illinois. But now. Uh, making his hay in color commentary on the Michigan basketball broadcast, and like you, Tim, uh, is very you know privy to the inner workings of the team at practice, in film sessions, can can really give some insight uh, into the evolution of the team under Jawan Howard last year, the evolution of his coaching, and very interested in your back and forth with Terry Mills about last season. Uh, And then looking ahead to next season and what your expectations are. So pleased to be joined by one of the best big men in Michigan history. And, you know, putting him next to another one of the best big men in Michigan history. So we're bringing Terry Mills onto the show. And uh, Tim, uh, Terry, I'm curious, during the the process, I know, Tim, you had impact on Jawan Howard's recruitment. Did you guys cross paths while Terry was getting recruited?
2: Uh, Terry was a a young buck coming in as a high school superstar and and I met him at that point but really the 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 time that I remember the most was in September of Terry's freshman year Um, before I headed off to NBA training camp I always loved to to get some up and down run with with the new coming players and with with the, the Michigan players and I can remember um, the first time I played against Terry, I was just so immensely impressed with the whole class. Um, Gary Grant was the star, but but Ramil Robinson was so smooth. Mark Hughes had the high IQ. Um, Glenn Rice was one of the smoothest freshmen that I had ever seen. Um, Loy Vaught, I didn't even want to cover. I could not keep him <laughs> off the glass. But but I was um, I was I was most impressed with Terry. His versatility, and I was so happy. 'Cause he he was shooting deep. And and I I didn't want to bang with Loy inside. So I, I covered Terry on the perimeter. And I thought, you know, Coach Frieder, Coach Frischer, they're they're not gonna let him shoot those threes. And and um but but Terry, I, I, I had some amazing memories playing against you when, when you were when you were just a freshman.
0: Yeah, I remember those times, Tim, and uh, I'll tell you what, it it paid dividends for uh, us players that made it to the next level with, you know, guys like yourself coming back, playing at Chrysler, getting us prepared, also getting yourself prepared to, you know, go to training camp, and, uh, you know, it just gave us a measuring stick of what we needed to be, and uh, like you say, you being an inside force and how strong you were, I'm kind of like, I got got a ways to go here. I'm, I'm being smart about it and saying hey this guy is hard to cover he's a strong guy inside i've got a ways to go so i mean i think that a lot of players probably look at it that way as saying hey this is a measuring stick if we want to get to that level we've got to be this good
2: yeah, yeah and
0: i am um, i learned from
2: from phil hubbard i remember when i was a freshman he came in and schooled me and and that that's a nice <laughs> nice it, it's a nice historical context and and do you do you keep in touch with with guys from your 89 team, the greatest team in Michigan basketball history, and, and what are they up to these days?
0: Yes, I do. I, I talk to them all the time. I reach out to one, me, Glenn, and and Sean was just on a uh, Zoom podcast with Steve Bardo. Uh, reach out to Mike Griffin. Out of those guys, we still stay in contact. I talked to Mark Hughes quite a bit. So, you know, we kind of cross paths. Demetrius Caleb, I talked to him about uh, two or three days ago. So,
1: Same
0: time. I mean, we all stay we all stay in contact, and he's doing well now, and uh, it was good to see, you know, he was battling. He had a little stroke there, and, you know, I could tell he was getting better because his speech was a lot better, and I was like, it sounds like you're doing good, and he's like, he's he's coming around, and he's doing well.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's not lost on me how much pride both of you guys expressed when you heard that Juwan Howard was named the – uh, head coach for the University of Michigan. That's a a, a guy from the player fraternity, uh, a guy from the big man fraternity. And, and so, you know, the excitement is one thing, but to see it in practice, neither of you guys had any reservations about what kind of coach he was going to be. Anything he didn't know coming in, he was going to get. Which brings me to why I wanted to pick you guys' brain, uh, brains. Uh, as you sat and watched practice, watched him coach the team, over the course of the year. I, I'm curious where you guys kind of saw the the biggest growth, the biggest evolution. Where did he change the most maybe uh, over the course of the, of the season? Uh, you know, first with you, Terry, and then uh, then I'm interested to hear what you think, Tim.
0: Well, well the growth that I've seen in Juwan was just his player communication, first of all, that he had with the players, especially with the younger players, and also just being a, a player that is implementing Offense of the NBA. Every kid that comes in and plays college basketball right now wants to play in the NBA, and Jawan Howard is a, is a perfect example. I'm still asking Jawan how you play 19 years. So I mean, without question, don't want you to even question that uh 19 years of experience and what he's done down in, in Miami with the Miami Heat. I played for that organization. I knew what that organization was all about. So it gave me a heads up at what. Jawan Howard was going to be about and I tell you what, he hit the ground running and uh, I I love what he's doing. It's not not going to do anything but get better and you know, you you, you talk about that time and being influential at Jawan coming in. I'm sure Tim got that phone call because I called Tim. We were all excited that Jawan's name was called. So a lot of players that you know, uh, AD uh, Ward called and reached out to We we talked behind the scenes and it was kind of like, Hey man, it's a no brainer, man. We, 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 gotta have Juwan, man. I mean, this guy's going to be able to reach out to players.
2: Yeah. I, I remember when T called me last summer and we were just elated uh, about the possibilities. And, and, you know, as the, 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 the season went on, remember it's one year ago right now. Um, and there were two moments that really stood out to me. The first one was, it was before a football game, maybe it was Army. And I was watching Juwan work with Colin Castleton and John Teske in the low post, and his shirt was dripping with sweat. And as I was watching him, you know, talk about footwork and balance and how to use leverage, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, he he's our best center right now. And he played 19 years in the NBA, he's an, old, <laughs> he's an older man, right. but you could plug him in starting center and he'd be all big tech now, but he, um, he was, he was such a good communicator. And I just looked at the eyes of Teske and Castleton and the immense respect that they had. It was really impressive to see. And then the second memory was, uh, practice the night before the Purdue game. And the, it was, it was a really simple thing, but it spoke volumes to me. They went through a drill they, they talked a little bit about the the, the Purdue scouting report. And then the players went to their baskets for free throws. And Juwan walked around and he had a 20-second conversation with every single guy on the team. Um, it, it, he, he, You know, sometimes he would just make a comment and they would, would joke and laugh. And then he would go to the next guy and he would pull him off to the side and show him how – you know, you need to get into a better triple threat position when you catch the ball. And then the next guy, he would walk over and he would he would be clearly talking about maybe a matchup the next night. You know, you're you're going to be covering this guy and this is what he does. And and it was really neat because, you know, Terry, we've been to a lot of shoot and and that's not always the way it is. A lot of times the headliner gets all of the love and all the attention from the head coach. He talked to the walk ons he slapped hands with the managers. He he, you know, gave a hug to his coaches. Like He just touched everybody in the building, and that's such a unique skill.
0: Yes, he did. And one of the things you, you just uh, pointed out was that Coach Howard is hands-on. Uh, he, he's not a, a coach with a whistle, sits back, let his assistants run the program. When it comes to running big men and the position that he played, You're exactly right. He's getting down there in the post, and he's defending. He's working with them on that footwork. And you and I play for a lot of coaches, and you don't see a head coach actually get out there and do it. I mean, he may give you an example, and maybe another coach may get in if he's the low-post coach. But, you know, Jawan, I mean, he gives other coaches, hey, you work with the guards and you do this. But This is the position I play. I'm very familiar with it. We're gonna get it done, and uh, I, I was I was very impressed
1: with it. Yeah, I'm curious, guys. One of the things that was, you know, stuck out to me the most was on the defensive end of the floor, uh, and the strategy with defending other other big guys that that seemed to be, uh, you know, a place where he got more more versatile, more multiple as the as the season. Uh, went on and then you know ball screen coverage you know how you how they guarded ball screens he seemed to get uh, a little more very analytics driven as you pointed out Tim but seemed to vary that more at least from the outside looking in I'm curious was that something that you guys uh noticed as well was that something that you guys noticed in practice being an emphasis what about that part of things
0: yeah definitely uh from my standpoint you know I think when a coach comes in one of the first things that you're gonna have to uh going to have to understand his terminology and coach Beeline had an unusual terminology, but it worked where Juwan kind of simplified it. And I kind of understood his language, so to speak, you know, that, you know, you're doubling down and you're coming from X or you're coming from Y, or you're coming from Z on the double down. Those are NBA terminologies. You know, we're going to go one, remove uh, one under, we're going to go under on this shooter, things like that. Or we're going to go over the top on this shooter. And I I think that, you know, things like that, me being in film sessions also, he was actually opening it up a little bit to players and say, this is the way I want you to play it, but do you want to play it like this? Which way would you like to play it? Now, if you say you wanted to play it a certain way, he's going to hold you accountable for that. And (laughs) not to say that, not to say he's not going to go back and change it, but I'm going to hold you accountable for it. If you say, you're going to go over the top of this player and you're going to get over the top after we're saying, I want to go one removed, this guy gets hot. We're going to change it. You know, I'm not going to be stubborn here, but, you know, I mean, you don't have a lot of coaches that do that with players. It's like you either do it my way or the highway. And for him to open it up and say, are you comfortable with that? Do you like that? Would you prefer defending in this way or that way? So, I mean, that goes a long way.
2: Yeah, yeah and Tia, a lot of our NBA coaches, the, the best ones, they do make their players accountable, but they they understand that if a player says, look, I want to cover a guy this way, he's going to be more motivated to step up and cover his backside. And I, I give Juwan a lot of credit for being a mature coach at a very early point in his career. Remember, you know, we, we saw a lot of different defensive looks from Michigan. They started off with drop coverage there are some ways that it works better in the nba than in college um they tried to ice ball screens in certain situations and other times they would double team hard. and and so what i think that Juwan was doing was realizing that that he may struggle in some games as they get used to some new techniques but over the course of the year having a deep defensive playbook would really benefit them down the stretch should you ever set foot outside of the motel you will be shot
1: You know, look, first, looking back to last year and seeing how some guys sort of came out of their shells, grew into bigger roles. Guys like Eli Brooks, Brandon Johns, uh, they were bigger presence presences on on, on the floor for Michigan, uh, and now they're going to be charged with being uh, bigger still. So I, I'm I'm interested in your thoughts specifically on on Brandon. Uh, you know, a guy who we saw at times really. Uh, you know be assertive on the floor be a presence for Michigan on the floor now again he he was a new guy in that role so it wasn't like every game but as you look at how he came out of that shell over the course of the season what what kind of work did you see done with him in practice and then what do you kind of see on the horizon for him this coming season well
0: I, I was very impressed like I said it was it was an adjustment for him and I, I think that's You know, one of the things that stick out to me when it comes to Brandon Johns is energy. You know, he has to have that energy and play with a lot of consistency game in and game out because, I mean, when this kid was charged up in the games that he had and and being able to crash and hit those offensive boards and put them back, I mean, it just set this Michigan team to a whole different level. And you're just saying that he can bring that every day. Then this Michigan team is going to be a team to be reckoned with. So, I think that, you know, coming into next season, I think that that's probably going to be some of his focal points is being uh, being very consistent in whatever role he may have. I, I think that he's one of those players that you can start him or you can bring him off the bench. But he can be a difference maker. You know, I mean, I love when he came in off that bench and, and gave us that energy that we needed. I mean, it, it just made Michigan a whole different type of team. Tim? Yeah,
2: and I, I know why you love him is because he plays a lot like you when you were in high school, um, you know, a big man, best in the state, one of the best in the country that, that has a lot of perimeter skills. And when I think back to your career, Terry, you know, they, they, they made you play inside a lot because that's what big men were supposed to do when you were in high school and college and even the start of your NBA career. But as time went on, you became kind of like Kevin Garnett, one of those transformational players that all of a sudden was a big guy that was asked to shoot perimeter shots. How how was the, that transition for you? And have you ever had a chance to talk to Brandon about that? Because, you know, he, he's being asked more and more to be that stretch four like you were.
0: Well, that transition, I'll tell you what, it, it was very hard to accept. I mean, Doug Collins was a coach that introduced me to that. It was very hard for me to accept. It was kind of like, he was like, you could be a specialist. You could make something happen every time you get in the ball game, And I had to buy into that. And, and once I started, you know, it started working out my way and started buying into that and understanding that being a stretch four was allowing the court to open up for Grant Hill getting to the basket and being able to deliver and finish at the rim. So, I mean, that's just a big difference. Uh, When it comes to players, Tim, I mean, I travel with them and things like that. I just, I don't try to talk to them a whole lot to, you know, discourage them in any way. If I see a player down, I may try to pick him up, but, you know, that's what they got coaches for, and they got enough people in their ear, and I don't want to say anything to make him do something that somebody else said he shouldn't be doing or whatever. But if I ever see a player and he kind of holds his head or he needs to be picked up a little bit, I'll pull him to the side and have a conversation with him. And, uh, you know hopefully get him back on the right
1: track. You know guys, one of the one of the players that I just feel like from from a temperament a mentality standpoint probably rarely needs to be picked up uh, even as a freshman. Maybe the only time was, you know, starting out because he was injured because things didn't start out the gate. Like Franz Wagner wanted them to uh maybe he need to be picked up, but I just feel like as you look ahead to next year, and while I expect if Isaiah Livers comes back for him to be a team leader, maybe the team leader, I think from an emotional standpoint, that guy on this squad, and I'm curious if you on the inside feel this way, I think Franz is, is, is that guy. I think he can be that guy emotionally, and I think he has the skill set uh, to be the lead guy offensively uh, for this team as well. I'm curious about what, what you saw in his growth, what you heard inside about him, and then what you see for him come next season
0: well I love Francis motor. I mean I, I love the passion that he plays with and, and like you said he brings it every single day I thought it was a fill-out process for him and him trying to fill the game out kind of let it come to him where coach Howard and the staff was more or less like no we want you to go we want you to hunt shots. And I'm kind of looking at Franz. I've never had a coach say, hey, hunt <laughs> shots, get shots. You know, hey, it's, the, it's, the, it's time to uh, accept that and get after it, you know. Uh, and he just said one of the biggest things for him when I talked to Franz was that his adjustment from playing overseas and playing here is that guys bring it every single day here, you know, in the league, no matter who they are, whether you're playing Wisconsin or whether you're playing. Appalachian State you know guys are going to bring it every single night and you know my advice to him was well You know a lot has to do with guys coming at you is what your brother has accomplished And now you got that Moe Wagner you got that Wagner on the back of your jersey Hey guys want to cut your head off every single night? So you got to be able to bring it every single night because you're a prospect right now And anytime you get that that NBA logo prospect, that you're a potential player. Hey, man, guys at Central Michigan want to line you up, man. They want to get after you in a hurry. He's um he's special.
2: He really is. And there are three areas that I thought that that he really he he really showed me the most. Um, first of all, I think he's Michigan's best driver, and with his length, he doesn't look like he's going to be. Um, So quick and able to get by is, is his guy, but he uses his shoulders and angles really, really well. Um, second area is that he's Michigan's best rebounder. He, he, um, he just in the big 10, I think he, he had more rebounds than John Teske. And, and, and then the, the other part of it, which is so important, he's got that fire, gets it from his parents. He gets that from his brother and he just plays with a confidence and a swagger. When when you go into Mackey Arena or Assembly Hall, he's the kind of guy that that builds confidence, and you say, yeah, you know, we're going to be good. I'm with Franz, and and I also think that that um, because of his wrist, he he never really had confidence in his perimeter game. If if he's making threes, I just don't know how you cover him because that sets up his drive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think if if he shoots it like we know he can i think he's an all big 10 caliber performer i don't think that's too much too lofty too much pressure to put on him i think he has that kind of talent but you know maybe one of the most insightful um you know one of the most insightful things that you guys can offer the listeners is is a dynamic of the team that we we can't really see but the staff dynamic i mean you guys are as i said you're you're in practice and can probably notice things uh, from the from the contributions of the assistants that maybe make their way o- over into games. So, how did you guys see the assistants be uh, the most influential? Where did you see their influence the most? And and, and how did you see maybe the staff role definition, uh, you know, kind of evolve over the season?
0: Well, I I didn't think it was any any conflict whatsoever. I thought that everybody was on the same page. And uh, if if Coach Howard was to ask uh, Howard Isley to come down there and work with the big guys, I mean, he would be down there working with the big guys. And and I I just love that. And and I love the communication that that Coach Saudi Washington has with these guys. And, you know, he he has young kids. And, you know, these guys kind of look at him like that uh, as almost like maybe a father figure. And, and I mean, these guys just—they just have just passion. They—they they love the coaching staff, and uh, that—that's just what I've seen out of them. I mean, they just bring so much to the table. Uh, I mean, you can't say enough about Coach Martelli. I mean, this guy is a uh, is a godfather. I mean, it was something uh, that that we got, and I tell you what, we stole him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the the terminology I use, and you know, it's probably kind of. It would be hard for most people if you had an ego from you being a head coach all these years and then being asked to be an assistant coach. But I tell you what, he, he fell right in, no egos whatsoever. I love him, and I hope we have him a long time.
1: Did you see any any uh, any imprint? Like what what imprint did you see, Tim? Maybe it was a strategy. Uh, you know, maybe it was a call in the game. Is there anything that sticks out to you? Any moment that sticks out to you, where you say, "Yeah, that was something that H said," or "That was something that Sadi said," or I can see where Phil, you know, had this influence on on the game or this player or that player.
2: Well, the, the the biggest thing that Phil Martelli brought, from my standpoint, is is on the offensive end, and I um I probably covered ten or twelve of his games when he was the head coach at St. Joe's, they were, they were really good with Delante West and Jameer Nelson. And he ran a very similar offense to, to John Beeline, line, um, you know, spread tactics, passing cut, you know, really, really a good passing game. Um, but, but I think that, that maybe one of the hidden strengths of Phil Martelli is that he's got a lot of tricks, a lot of knowledge and, there were some very subtle things that, that we saw, you know, a baseline out of bounds play um, how to target a mismatch to get, get a hot, a hot shooter, the ball. Um, he's just, he's, he's, he's done so much. He's seen so much. And I, I think that that, that sage wisdom was really special. And, you know, to add on to, to what Terry said, when, when you look at the landscape of college basketball, there's a lot of coaches that are yellers and screamers, and and millennials do not buy into that very well at all. They want people that are gonna look them in the eye and talk to them like a man. And and Michigan does not have any yellers and screamers on their staff. They've got, you know, mature guys that will have a conversation. They're you know, they're under control. And I think that they fit Juwan's personality so well.
1: So let's let's close That's this right. okay, yeah. go ahead, Terry. Sorry about that. No, I, I think you,
0: Tim, you hit that right on the head. That, that's exactly what it was, and, and and you want to talk about that experience that Coach Mark Kelly had. I mean, you talk about managing the ball game. I mean, you talk about a guy that you know knows timeouts, knows situations, probably without even looking at a piece of paper. You know, just hey, we got a timeout, get a timeout here, and those are things that Jawan will get better at as you know as his uh, coaching career continues. But you know, you got a guy with that type of experience. I mean. It hasn't been a situation that he hasn't been
1: in. So, in, in closing, fellas, uh, let's let's assume for the sake of our argument that that Isaiah Livers is back. So let's just stipulate that he he comes back. We don't know for sure what he's gonna do. I don't know if you have any opinions on that. Uh, but assuming that he's back, you know, what's your what's your outlook for for this team next year? What is the ceiling for this team next year in your eyes, Terry?
0: Well, for me, I mean, I I think we've got to be one of the tops, you know, uh, in the big Ten. I mean, Michigan has got a very, very versatile team. And if you look at the way Coach Howard is recruiting and his staff, is that you got guys, you're talking about combo forwards, you're talking about combo guards, you got guys that can play multiple positions, guard multiple positions. And then when you talk about a guy like, you know, Isaiah Livers, I thought he was probably one of the most versatile players that we had. I mean, the fought injuries all season long, but you could e- easily put him on a 2, 3, or 4, depending on who they were throughout the season. So I think that him going forward, I think that I don't know what they're going to do as far as, you know, coming in, working out. I, I don't know if it's going to be on Zoom. I have no idea. One thing I do know about this kid, he will pass the intelligence test, and he will pass the likeness test. So if you're judging it on that, he will get drafted but I think that they, they probably want to see more and uh, that's what, what it's going to be about. You know, he's going to have to uh, get out there on the floor, show what he's all about. But like I said, I, I don't know what's going on and how that draft is going to be uh, for, uh, go on this year.
2: Tim one through four Michigan's loaded with depth and versatility. I think that that the key player is Hunter Dickinson, um, he, he has NBA potential, but, but also, there are times that it's a massive jump for freshmen. And, and so, you know, does he come in as an all Big Ten center? That possibility exists because when you look around the league, a lot of the best big guys are now gone. And, and if, you, if you add Austin Davis to the mix, that twosome right there has an outstanding chance to be the best center position um, tandem in the conference.
1: Wow, Tim uh, and Terry, that was everything that I thought it would be bringing you guys together to, to take us inside, to take us inside practice and uh, reflect on how things unfolded over the course of the season. Uh, you guys are terrific uh, together. Appreciate you taking the time out of your day, Terry, to, to join us. I uh, just want to say, you know, stay safe out there. There's so much going on in the world. Hopefully you and your family uh, stay safe out there. But appreciate you taking the time to come on this podcast and and lend your insight into Michigan basketball. So thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, anytime, man. Uh, you know, I'm just a phone call away, man. You call me and I'm on it. Thanks, T. All right, thanks, Jeff.
1: And we're back, folks, here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. And so great, you know. First of all, Terry is a you know is a friend of of, of ours, and certainly brings a level of insight into the program because he is so close and travels with them, Tim. Uh, that you know you can really get a feel for how things evolved as far as far as the player coach relationship last year. This is to your point the kind of coach player dynamic that really fits in with this generation, the one that that Juwan Howard, the coaching sort of temperament that he has on the sideline.
2: Well, it, it's um, it, it is good insight. And and the the, the players today want to be coached to get to the highest level. And and that's that ultimately that's what makes Juwan, you know, so attractive as a coach He he's a hard worker. He understands the fundamentals. He's paid his dues and the high school recruits. I'm talking about the very elite ones are saying for 19 years, you hung around with the LeBron James and the Dwayne Wade's of the world. I want to learn what kept you in the league for nearly two decades. I want to learn what it takes to get to the highest level.
1: Absolutely. Well, speaking of recruits getting to the highest level, we know that Juwan Howard coming in the door uh, said, look, he's going to recruit anyone that he feels can uh, can help the University of Michigan. It doesn't matter you know, how highly ranked they are or who he's recruiting against, if they're a one-and-done. If he thinks that, that guy can help Michigan, he's going to recruit them. And so it should come as no surprise that he is back out chasing uh, guys of the five-star variety. And I got a chance, as did you, got a chance to see him observe a couple of those targets for the first time uh at the nba players association top 100 camp uh you know a couple of guys that he is in the thick of it for a big man the number one big man in the country by the name of chet holmgren uh, and then another five star out of richmond virginia by the name of efton reed and i'm curious tim uh in in your experience you know watching them just your your thoughts on both of those guys and their games
2: Interesting question, Sam. Uh, Michigan looks pretty balanced right now. They have depth throughout. But I think that recruiting at the center position is their top concern. Think about Teske graduates, Castleton transfers. Hunter Dickinson has one-and-done potential. Austin Davis is in his fifth year. That means that Juwan's top priority has to be big men. And and he's shown that, that he can both – recruit and teach the position. And, and you're right. A couple of guys that are on his board that look really good. Uh, the first one is Chet Holmgren at the top 100 camp last summer, good kid, immense talent. He's about seven foot about as skinny as anybody you've ever seen, (laughs) um, out of Minneapolis, uh, three point range. He, he really, he really has a smooth handle. And part of that, it, it happens a lot of times with big guys, that, that start their careers off as guards and they grow so much that all of a sudden they're seven foot and they can still handle the ball. Um, I think he will struggle in the paint if he's in the Big Ten uh, because of the high center of gravity that he has. He'll get pushed off the block a lot. I think he'll struggle a little bit um, to hold position on the glass. But he's got super long arms. Um, he actually plays like a seven-foot wing um and, and as strange as this may be if you're looking for a comparison he he actually plays a little bit like Franz Wagner he can drive he can knock down threes and I I think that maybe the difference between he and Franz is that 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 Chet is a much better shot blocker he more of a true center
1: mm-hmm. yeah and and I remember watching watching Jawan and the staff and i think that was the that was the first kind of recruiting event that they were all at together i remember watching them watch chet uh and seeing that they were impressed with him and i i you know i looked at him and i looked at his frame i think it's important for folks who haven't seen him play or been around have been around him to to know that you cannot judge the book by its cover you're, you're absolutely right tim he can you know he's gonna struggle with if you know guys try to back him down uh, he's got to get a lot bigger and stronger. But what you got to know about this kid is, mentality-wise, he's willing to mix it up. I mean, he plays yeah, yes. he plays with an edge that belies his hundred ninety pound frame. Right. I mean, he plays with some swagger out there, some attitude, much like Franz. I mean, much like Franz, he plays with that kind of that kind of ap- attitude and temperament on the court.
2: Yeah, he's not afraid to to talk a little bit. Um, he won't back down. And when, when you're tall and that skinny, you're, you're probably not going to be the toughest guy. So that he actually even takes a little more guts to put put yourself out there. Because, you know, if, if you make, make somebody a little bit upset with you, you might, you might catch a bow. You might catch a, a little <laughs> bit of a cheap shot at times. But um, he, he plays hard. He would be a great target. If
1: I have to be honest,
2: I, I mean, good family, good kid. He probably stays in state, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, you know, I've heard a lot of Minnesota. I've heard some Gonzaga there. You know, one of the interesting things will be what is, what's what's Richard Patino's future. I, I think that he was a guy that was on the hot seat. Uh, you know, so this is uh, you know, this will be an interesting year for, uh, interesting year for him, and that has to play into the equation, uh, for for him, and you know, Michigan is certainly uh, getting some positive feedback. Uh, from Chet being in the mix, I one of the interesting questions for me is is he a is he a G League guy? Now the word on the street, Tim, uh, is that you know he is he is looking to go to college for a period of time, however long. So you know certainly that developmental option is going to be something that coaches have to contend with with the top guys, but there's still going to be those guys that feel like. Uh, some seasoning in the college ranks is still the is still the way to go and it sounds like at least at the moment that that's the way that that Chet Holmgren and his family are leaning yeah and remember
2: when you get to the NBA you you want to you want to be right a step right in you want to be a high draft pick and you want the the team to have that strong investment in you so you get a chance to develop you know when when you get to the NBA though those, those are a bunch of men. They're, they're, they're big and they're strong and they're physical. And, and to go in there with a young man's body instead of a man's body, it, it, it's, it's going to bring some real challenges if he's not physically mature.
1: So, Tim, what about Efton Reed? What did you think of Efton? A good prospect, nice size. I thought at the top 100 camp he didn't really
2: shine or stand out, but I don't necessarily think that's a, a negative on him. Uh, sometimes a big guy will play on a team in a camp setting in which the ball just does not move a lot um you know sometimes they're surrounded by dribblers and shooters and and so i i thought it, I thought it was a little bit unfair for him but i, I like I like the fact that he uh, he played pretty hard he's from Virginia and he spent a week at UVA um, so it seems like a, a really nice fit there I didn't know him well enough but some kids just want to get away from home. So maybe that's him, but I think he's got good potential does not seem like a one and done player. And, and at times it seemed like he was playing at 70 or 80%, but you know, some guys that's just the way they, they, they play. They do things so easy. Um, They, they almost play effortless, which makes them look like maybe they've got, they've got an extra gear. Um, But I I I liked him. I thought I thought he's a good player. He could knock down a perimeter shot too, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. you know in a camp setting you don't really you don't really see that a lot. But yeah, I I liked him. I liked him a lot.
1: So what about what about this Tim? I mean, we've talked so much about the impact of of the coronavirus on on guys and their outlook when it comes to going to the pro ranks. I mean, this is uh, you know this is one of the things that is impacting. Isaiah livers for for instance I mean just the inability to really uh showcase his talent to to teams they got to go off of film well you know recruiting from from both sides of things you know players can't get out to uh you know to visit campuses and will not be able to get out to visit campuses this summer and coaches don't have the opportunity to get out uh, at least you know to to, to scout these guys that at, at tournaments and I'm curious what impact do you think that's going to have on the recruiting process?
2: Wow, uh, that's an insightful question, Sam. I, I like it. R- recruiting in a COVID-19 world is going to be a lot different. I expect many changes. First of all, the July recruiting window has been eliminated. Uh, August is up in the air. We're waiting to hear from the NCAA. So my prediction is that this year we're going to go old school and the high school will become the center of attention. You're going to have open gyms, hopefully this fall, that will be filled with college coaches like it used to be. Um, I remember my junior and senior year of high school, you know, we I would just be scrimmaging with my buddies in, in the gym after school and Dean Smith would be there. And, and it was just, it was kind of uncomfortable that such an iconic guy would have to hop on a flight just to watch an open gym with no structure, no coaches. Um, but that's the way it used to be. And, and then the high school coach is going to be the key contact again, which is, I think is really healthy. And then Friday night, bright lights, high school game, you're, you're going to have a loaded arena with big time college coaches. They're going to fly in for a game and then fly back to be with their team on Saturday for the college game. Uh, The the end result probably looks like this fall visits and tailgates before football games may be in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Um, You you may, more college decisions in the spring like it used to be. And then you also might see some of these these um elite recruits just say, you know, I'm not even going to risk it. I'm gonna go to the G League. And then Sam, another reality is that I'm I'm kind of anxious to see, you know, there's no spring or summer basketball. High school tournaments did not finish. And and so what's the impact on on a lot of these high school players? for, for a lot of them, they've just been sitting around for three months. They've been eating and playing video games and staying up late at night, talking to friends or or going on social media. Does that impact their development? Um, and I think it can for, for some, maybe, maybe it's good just to get away. Mm -hmm. Um, and for others, they might need some work and it's a struggle. You know, I, I was thinking a little bit about, you know, the value of two sport athletes and, and uh, avoiding some of those overuse injuries. I was thinking about when um, when I got to the league, I had a chance to meet some of my heroes that played for the Pistons, like Dave Bing and Bob Lanier and Curtis Rowe and Willie Norwood. And, you know, so, some of those names that make me smile. And, and a lot of people may not realize that when they ended their NBA season, they got another job. You know, Dave Bing worked at a bank. And 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 so it's not all bad for bodies to just get away and rest and recuperate a little bit after a long season.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, we will we will be uh, watching and and I mean and not just in basketball, you know, football, all the the off time that players have, really be watching not just from an you know, a, a preparation and you know, a conditioning standpoint where players are, but skill skill wise, you know, is there any erosion? Uh, at all from the downtime that they they've had tim i think it's a it's a great point and something that we have to be on the lookout for uh and i'm curious also the the impact on the recruiting process i mean will will coaches going back to as you as you termed it the old school and being more in the high school gyms uh will that encourage them to try to make that a greater part of the model Again, we have heard coaches talk in the past about, uh, you know, recruiting reform and ways in which they can make it better. Uh, You know, is this one of those things that they will feel like uh, makes it better? Or will they feel like, ah, man, you know, the opportunity to see all these guys in one place, uh, you know, more often on, on the AAU circuit, you know, maybe that'll still be the way to go. Time will tell, Tim. It'll be something interesting to be on the lookout for. But let me say again that, you know, I appreciate you, my guy. I appreciate your willingness to, uh, you know, to really delve into some, some very serious topics. Uh, and then, I, of course, I appreciate your insight on, uh, on Michigan basketball, on all these basketball matters, uh, because, you know, it's, it's very, very easy uh, to, to just be that. And I'm not critical of players that, that decide that they want to do that, Uh, But you're showing the versatility and the willingness to show it here on this podcast. so I appreciate that, my man.
2: Thanks, Sam. And, And in this world of uncertainty and craziness right now, it was fun to take an hour and talk about Michigan Hoops with you.
1: Thanks so much. All right. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider.